Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Thank you to everybody at the start, I will say, who has signed up to the Patreon page. There's been a bunch of new people who are now subscribers to this podcast, who are the people who help me put this on every week and make sure that Podcast Mike and James Fosdyke and everybody else who's associated with the podcast uh, gets paid for their time and their labour, making sure that it comes out weekly or as it's going to, I've been promising this for a couple of weeks, but uh, uh, there'll be a few bonus episodes this week as well. And uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Willosophy, that's Will with one L, W-I-L-O-S-O. P-H-Y. Oh man, I don't know why, but spelling that out loud always gets me. It might be tricky for you to find as well. Some people have given me that feedback. So uh, please go to uh, patreon.com slash philosophy. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. It's a dollar American, I think. So it's not quite, it's a little bit more than that. But uh, you can subscribe and a monthly donation and it really helps. Um, If we could double the amount of subscribers we have right now, uh, this podcast would basically... Um, you know, uh, have the finance to come out weekly and uh, everyone to get paid and uh, when we're able to travel again, me to travel to record some episodes and stuff like that. So that's kind of the aim. About double where we are now and I'm going to put out some Patreon bonus content that is coming. I am uh, having a decent think about what the best idea is and what might be best value for people and people might want to actually... Uh, be interested in consuming there so I'm having a really decent think about that but if you're on the Patreon page and you want to send me a message I will uh, see that so maybe you have requests maybe there's extra stuff that you would like some people have been giving me suggestions of uh, guests who have been on the podcast before who they would love to have back so happy to hear those as well and some of those are actually coming up soon so anyway uh, ramble 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 blah 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 um, thank you for supporting the podcast is basically all I'm saying. Uh, uh, this is a returning guest. Love this. This was fun. Uh, Alex Dyson. Uh, a lot of you might know Alex Dyson from his days of the Triple J Breakfast Show. But uh, last time he was on the podcast, he was running for parliament. So we talk about that. And then we talk about uh, what's been going on during the pandemic because he was going to run uh, a bar and a venue as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and how that affected his life and uh, his book, launched uh, during the pandemic which of course uh, all the plans around that change we talk about you know what you do in this global moment when you've got things that are meant to be happening and then they don't happen and how you use your time and uh, anyway Alex is a really fascinating guy he's got a million different things going on he's a real ideas generator and it's a great pleasure to talk to him because He's one of those great guests where every time that you throw him a question, he comes up with a super intelligent answer that also inspires other conversations and other questions. And also, I think that a lot of what he does comes from the heart, from a place of real joy. So when you talk to Alex, it's always a great pleasure or you always feel pretty good afterwards because, you know, there's a a sense of optimism and joy and dancing for the sake of dancing that... uh, that he brings to the podcast. So um, check out his new, uh, well, his new old radio show slash podcast. Uh, so Matt and Alex back together doing sort of a daily breakfast show, but not on breakfast radio. Anyway, we talk about that and he's got a book and he's got an Insta and he's doing all sorts of fun things during uh, this pandemic time. So make sure you check out Alex Dyson and enjoy this episode. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. What I'm doing during these times that I'm going to call without precedent, maybe even unprecedented times that we are now living in, these uncertain times, I'd like you to know the Philosophy podcast is here for you. And the way that we're here for you is uh, basically that I'm going back to previous guests on this podcast and checking back in, seeing uh, what has happened in their life since we last spoke and how they're dealing with the uh, times without precedence in which we live. So today's guest, uh, who are you? That's how the podcast starts. Who are you? I'm Alex Dyson. Pleasure to be with you, Will. Alex Dyson. Well, look, I, even I, if it were not a pan, <laughs> pandemic, there's been lots going on in your world between when we spoke last and uh, now anyway, because when we spoke last, you were 
about to run. Well, you you had commenced the proceedings to run for parliament. That was when we last spoke. It was, yeah. That's the good thing, I guess, about having a guest with precedent in these unprecedented times that we could um, refer back to how the guest was last time. And you're right, it was uh, on the eve of uh, my campaign. It was a look. It was a short and sharp three week campaign, and so, yeah. It was quick and over fast and I didn't win. And so <laughs> not a lot changed in my life in that regard. But um, yeah, it was a really good experience and I'm, I'm quite glad that I gave it a crack. What uh, did you learn from the experience? What was your big takeaway from uh, the time campaigning, throwing yourself in the deep end of the political system? What is it that you take away from that most, A, about the system and B, about yourself? Um. It's interesting. The thing, I guess, the the thing I learned the most was nothing to do with the system or about myself. It was about other people and seeing how other people see the world was super fascinating. Like I went on a couple of just road trips around, like Warrnambool is where I'm from and where I was based and and whatever for the electorate of Warrnambool. But I drove up to Hamilton. And um, went to a, a health clinic there. This, someone got on my Instagram and said, hey, I'm a nurse here at this health clinic. Can you come and hold on and have a look at, at uh, what we're doing here? And I went in and, yeah, this, like, Indigenous health in the area was, you know, really battling at that point and seeing how things work there. And just these experiences that, you know, I was working at in inner city Sydney at Triple J and, you know, going to gigs and that sort of thing. And suddenly you're in regional Victoria seeing this uh, this place yeah, it was totally different to what I was used to and seeing the world through other people's eyes was interesting. And then I went down to pre-polling and handed out a few of cards with my face on it and how to vote and standing next to the, the guy who was handing out um, flyers for Pauline Hanson. He wanted Pauline <laughs> to get into the Senate. He'd been at dinner with her the night before doing their Victorian Senate campaign. And I chatted to the guy and like, <laughs> he's a nice dude. Like, he's just there like, oh, good on you for running and that kind of thing. And this person who, if you know, you see on a television screen and they just see the world totally differently from how you see it. But like there's, you have more similarities with the person than you do differences. And you can have this, you can want the same result than something and you could go about it through different means. But um, yeah, everyone, everyone has, you know, some good in them and and I, I've, I found going and visiting those people, I think after that I went and drove to a guy I used to play footy with um, farm, dairy farm, and he was talking about electricity prices. And you sort of hear when the price wars are on and the carbon tax is going to, you know, wipe out Wyella or whatever these things. But he works on a dairy farm. And he says his monthly electricity bill, because they've got to turn the cows around and chill the milk and all that sort of thing. The monthly bill is $40,000. And I'm like, oh. Oh, that's a bit more than me just playing my Xbox on a, you know, Tuesday night <laughs> or whatever. So, so if there's a party saying we're going to bring down electricity prices, then that could be the biggest issue for you rather than, you know, you go going, you know, green climate change sort of party. So yeah, I've, I learned a lot about other people. I think um, when it comes to what I learned about the system, yeah, I think I said at the time, you know, we've got a pretty good one compared to other countries. And I think I think that was okay. I mean, it was funny with the the bingo balls getting picking them out of a uh, an actual cage to figure out what what number you were on the ballot. Maybe we could update that system, but yeah, the preferential system's not too bad. Um and learn about myself. Um I don't know. I like I like that I could give things a go is the other is the other thing I learned about myself. And yeah, you don't have to be scared to, to go into go into things or scared about losing or that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's what I learned. Well, there's a couple of really interesting things that you touched on there, which was the, the, the farmer with the electricity prices. So that's a good one. Mm. So quite often we say, oh, this you know, farmer, he voted for this mm. person and the reason he voted for this person is because he's a racist. You know, just to really overly simplify it, right? You know, Whereas the reason he might have voted for that person was as long as that party, as well as that party being a bit racist, they were quite good on electricity prices. And yes, when you or I hear electricity prices, 
it feels like, oh, yeah, okay, well, it's the difference between 600 bucks and 800 bucks on the worst months in winter when I have all the heaters on in the house or whatever. But you're talking about someone who might substantially be adding twenty or $30,000 to their monthly bill in a business that already has pretty low margins, like dairy farming, right? Mm. So if you just dismiss it outright as going, you can't be worried about electricity prices without actually saying, okay, if we're going to change the system, which we need to do around power and how power is generated, and part of that is going to be pricing, but part of that is going to have to be investing in innovation around farming communities and other big mm. businesses that use a lot of electricity and offering them incentives to be getting more of that electricity from other sources because you can't just go, we're going to put the price up without giving them some path out of that destroying their business. So that I love. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, there was while I was standing on the, um, I was standing, sorry, well, I was standing on the, uh, the, Breakwater in Warrnambool about to film a video for my campaign launch of me doing an interpretive dance, um, which ended up going a lot further than than I thought it would. It got played on Fox News in America and it got played on the BBC World News in, in the UK. And I'm, you know, spinning my arms around uh, in a wind turbine motion and doing a train thing. Anyway, I was doing that dance uh, and this sort of guy comes up on the, on the breakwater. This is before I jumped into the water in my dad's suit. And he said, what are you doing? Fair question, I thought. Um, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm running for parliament. I'm going to try and be an independent for one. And he's like, oh, good on you. Are you for the farmers? And I said, yes, because I am. And I don't want to like say to him, no, but it's interesting in that moment, like, because I'm, I am the, you know, used to work at Triple J and, you know, really want to help the environment and that sort of thing. And I would like to help the farmers while doing that. Like, I'm not anti-farmer when I was meeting this other guy on the dairy farm like I still have cow milk in my flat whites and so it'd be hypocritical of me to then go oh we need to do less of that but can I still you know so I'm not I'm not totally against the farmers at all but I I did have a moment where I'm like if this guy found out you know if knew everything about me did he would he think that I just lied to him by saying I'm for the farmers and I'm like but it was an interesting you know bit of self-reflection where I'm like because I am Definitely for the farmers. I'm for everybody. I want everyone to do it in the best way possible. It's just, I think, a good way to help the farmers is to not have as much drought and to, yeah, stop the world from heating up as much as the scientists say it is. And, uh, yeah, but I found that interesting, a little bit of self-reflection as well, thinking, like, is that my first lie in politics? Did I just lie to this man? And I, I, yeah, it was. that was an interesting, yeah, thought-provoking moment. Well, I don't think that you did because – but the problem is that we want such – like, I mean, he's asked you a question that has a yes or no answer when it does not have a yes or no answer. Mm. Like, it is a qualified answer to that question, whether you're for the farmers or not for the farmers. Yes, you're for the farmers. Yeah, Are you exactly. for some of these other details that might hurt the farmers? No, I'm not for those details that might hurt the farmers. Mm. And, and okay, so that, that's the first thing. Because this is when it when, when it talks about energy in particular, this is where you know our opportunity was, and we've kind of missed it. But we can't just say we missed it; we still have to do it regardless. Which was to say, we have this like old mining industry, old fossil fuels. All these people who work in those industries, we have to take some of those super profits of those inju- in- industries and use them to retrain, so that when like there are new industries that those same people can work in. Mm. You can't just go, they, they can retrain to be a, like a coder, right? Because yeah. they worked down a mine, now you're a coder. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. But what you can say is we have to shut down these old energy industries and we're going to develop these new energy industries. And guess what? You're an engineer in a coal mine. We can teach you how to be an engineer at a renewable. Like you work in a power in plant, you're, you're going to work in another power plant. Yeah. The power is just going to come from somewhere else, yeah. right? Like that's really, if, if we can think about it, we can think about it in ways that you can go, I can be pro the environment, but also looking at ways to help these workers and make sure that they don't lose their jobs in that scenario. Absolutely. And it seems better than simply propping up an industry, which seems to be, you know, rather than, you know, giving money to the car plants in Australia without changing any of the things that are getting them into trouble. Let's just give them more money so they'll they'll limp on for another nine to 12 months before the bosses decide, all right, well, we've sh- we've showed the face. Now let's just get out of here with, uh, with our golden handshakes or whatever. Um, yeah. The retraining is is something that just makes so much sense when it comes to uh, yeah putting the world in a, in a direction which 
yeah, can hopefully be more sustainable into into the future. Okay, and now uh, the fellow who is handing out the how to votes for Pauline Hanson, because I want to talk about him as well, because <laughs> as sure. as you said, standing next to him, talking to him. Mm. Yeah, he, he can be a nice guy. And we often have this experience in our lives mm. of people that we go, he's a pretty nice guy. But once he starts talking about politics, you're like, ah, oh, man, some of these things you believe aren't the things that a really nice guy would believe. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm finding it hard to yeah, reconcile you being a really nice guy <laughs> with you believing all these really not nice guy things. And so what do we do mm. with that? What, do you have any thoughts on, you know, how we how we better have that conversation, how we connect with that, how we deal with that. Yeah, you've just got to go a couple of steps down the road, I think, as to why people think that, you know. Do they not want refugees in Australia because they literally don't like the colour of their skin? Or do you want to go, all right, well, what are you worried about, you know? Like, well, I'm worried about, you know, our jobs. So we want more jobs, you know, is like, oh, that's good. I want more jobs too in this country, you know. So let's get a, you know, this use this common ground that we have to decide on a on a way that uh, it does that. Because, yeah, and I think you do go there, and I think there are some people you'll discover that do are, are just generally racist, <laughs> where where you get to a point, um, like a lot of one of the ones that I find annoying is like. Well, let's look after the homeless in our own country before we start letting people in. You go, great, all right, let's do it your way. Let's look after the homeless. Let's give these money to these shelters or, you know, these things. They're like, oh, no, I was just like, I want to keep that problem up there so I could use it as an excuse whenever people want to, to bring in refugees or something. So, yeah, I think some people are tokenistically saying these other issues, such as, you know, homegrown homeless uh, but other people would be able to potentially be be talked around, and when you do find that common ground, you might be able to uh, realize that there are, yeah, you have some similarities, and hopefully they can, um, yeah, see common sense and reason. But that's the other thing. I was handing out hold of how to vote cards next to the um, what was his name? Uh, Bernardi started the Conservatives in the Senate, which is interesting because when I was thinking about my campaign policy, it's like I think common sense is a good one. But my common sense is very different to the Conservatives in the Senate, whose literal sandwich board out of the front of the pre-polling was bring back common sense. And so I'm like, well, if we can't agree on what common sense is, you know, how are we can, how are people meant to pick their party that they want? Because they could look at me and go, oh yeah, Alex Dyson, he looks all right. I want common sense with him. They look at the other sandwich board and it's the Conservatives in the Senate who are, you know, anti marriage equality and anti many things, which I don't think is common sense. And they just see those words and they go, well, I don't know which one to vote for. Common sense is remarkably different depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> it's ironic that what we most define as common sense is the thing that seems to be uncommon. You know, it's always the things that differentiate you from mm. others is that you know what common sense is. There is an actual implicit promise of togetherness in the expression, right? Because it is a common sense. The idea being mm. a certain amount of principles that we all believe in, which is that perhaps everybody should ac have ac equal access to education and health. And, you know, there should be some sort of social mm. safety net. And we would think those things are the common sense and they're on behalf of everybody. But some people are just like, you know, no, 5G causes coronavirus. It's bloody common sense. And why won't people see it? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty remarkable. The family values, another thing, those pe people's values for their family are uh, remarkably different. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we just should start a start a national database. So like, all right, what is our common sense and what can we agree on? So then we finally know it's written down um, st on stone tablets. Maybe we could come up with some a way to just, you know, keep track of what we should and shouldn't do. Well, I mean, there is an element, and I know it's probably overly simplistic and overly hopeful, but there is an element of combining something you said which is about finding that way you can approach somebody and have a conversation mm. where i mean this is the comical extension of it but if you could sit down you know alex dyson who believes in common sense and the cory bernardi party <laughs> member who also believes in uh common sense and you could go look let's not start as two people who disagree on everything mm. let's agree that like the idea that there are common values that we should all sort of have and stand up for is something that we both actually believe in mm. now now let's have a conversation within us both 
kind of understanding that about the differences in what we believe are common values and common sense. And I do think there could be a better way for us to have those discussions and reach out to those across the aisle. But maybe that is overly sim- simplistic and, and you know, Pollyannish thinking when it comes to the actual world of what people believe and how they believe it. Yeah, I think so. Like, I remember, what was it? Cooper's came up with the keeping it light a way of, uh, of <laughs> bridging the gap where <laughs> I think it was Tim Wilson, MP, and someone else drank a Cooper's light and talked about, you know, gay marriage as to whether that is that. And it was a, you know, it was a robust yet civil discussion about one person who didn't want gay people to be able to form a union in the same way that, you know, straight people could. And the other person was saying that I think we should. And Cooper's got boycotted as a result. Now, I don't, yeah, people started, yeah. I I remember this distinctly because it was during the Adelaide Fringe Festival and I normally drink Coopers on stage and no one would let you walk out on stage with the Coopers because it suddenly felt like it was a, like I might as well have come out in the, like the Confederate flag draped around on my shoulders to Kid Rock (laughs) (laughs) because I wanted to drink a pale ale. Yeah. So uh, the people, I guess that's the issue because the people who attempted to, you know, keep it light and have that conversation if it's not the conversation that a certain group want to be having and they begin the boycott, which is a good way of, you know, voicing your um, Mm. annoyance with some people. But, you know, obviously uh, say it goes, it could go too far sometimes, whether that is a time where it went too far, it was a completely reasonable one. I am unsure, but I do remember it. um, Yeah. That's one that springs to mind when you ask the question, how do we have that? discussion and come and reach the middle ground because it's dangerous to do so it's been proven and yeah and look there's a a very valid argument to be made that middle ground in of itself is a terrible idea because the right-wing parties uh, just go right more and more to the right so the middle becomes more and more to the right so if you are in any way socially progressive the idea of Mm. finding middle ground on things but the idea of finding common ground to start a conversation about what is really going on to be able to like if you just say to that you know the climate change denier if you never are able to engage with them in any way to move that conversation anything out of that they deny it and don't believe in it then how do we ever go forward and fix what we need to fix yeah i don't know one one i thought about climate change recently was one of the the call the catch cries of people who don't believe in the in the science are or don't believe in human-induced climate change is, you know, the world's had natural fluctuations over millions of years, okay? You know, it's natural for things to go this direction. And I realised recently, like, because I was thinking about that in terms of the Ice Age, for what I've known and the pictures of mammoths I've seen in in books, show it was a pretty chilly time. And that was natural, right? It wasn't human-induced. But it sucked, and if humans could stop it becoming an ice wasteland <laughs> and and stop the natural, you know, descent into a freezing apocalypse, then we should. If we if the reef is breaching a uh, bleaching, if everything's doing this naturally, then we as humans should step in and try and reduce it any way we know how. Even if it is natural, we should give it a crack. Anyway, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's it, it, exactly like I mean, essentially, you're arguing against sheltering yourself from a storm. Yeah, yeah. It's like exactly. why why do I need why, why do I need a roof on my house? It's yeah. natural. Sometimes lightning will just strike in. I'll take my chances. Exactly. It's nature's way. Exactly. Yeah. So I, maybe that's the way to get on get on the side of people who think it's natural. Is like I I agree with you. Let's you know let's you know really subvert nature here. Let's let's take mother nature to town. Well, okay, so let's talk about the environment because I think that in the terms of where we're at in this global pandemic, like the the conversation that we still need to be having around yeah, climate change and the environment looms larger. In fact, we're probably going to have 12 months of thinking about it seriously in a way we really needed to think about it seriously. And then when the world goes back to work, there's going to be this amazing 
imperative to consume more and you know get back up to speed as quickly as we possibly can and so many of these concessions that we were going to make there's going to be an excuse to go we can't do that anymore because Mm. the sacrifices we've already had to make now this pandemic to me feels like it's been a practice run you know this was our (laughs) go at having a like because there's other bad stuff coming if the science Mm. is right and the science was right on this one and maybe the upside can be that we have a little bit more trust in science but as I saw somebody comment today, they said, well, all this proves is that Scott Morrison does believe in science. He trusted science in this. So why is he choosing not to believe it when it comes in terms of the environment? And then you've got to say, it's not that they don't believe experts. It's mm. that they have an in- imperative of some kind not to believe the experts. And uh, that in itself is interesting. But what do you think in terms of the environment? Are you scared of what's happening right now? Like, you know, before we get to the pandemic itself, its effect on, you know, the broader world and our broader discussion about climate change, where do you feel like we're at? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty hopeful with coming in because you've seen, you know, um, there's been memes of you know, things returning, nature is healing and that sort of thing. But to a certain extent, like it is um, de- definitely helping. But you're right, when it comes to coming out of, you know, the lockdown that we're in, we don't want to be the uh, the person who binge drinks after dry July and just absolutely ruins any progress made in the in the month off. But um, but we will be told to because that is going to be the way the economy recovers. You can already yeah. see it, and I mean I think there's some great value in this idea of buy take away from your local business. You know, help them get through the crisis. I actually like a lot of those ideas, but mm. you know it's just going to ramp up and ramp up, and we're going to be encouraged to take holidays and fly more mm. and spend you know more time uh, you know consuming things as a way to help businesses regrow. So I kind of feel like we are going to be the binge drinker after dry July. Yeah, I. You're right. There will be an element of that, but I, the the problem being, and the good thing about this is it showed all of the arguments leading up to this lockdown were, you know, sure, we'd love to do more on climate change, but it's too much. Like we can't shut down the economy. We can't do this. We can't lose jobs. It's like, we have, <laughs> we've now done it yeah. in a p- perfectly, you know, valid pursuit of keeping everyone healthy. And so anyone after this who says that we can't, obviously it's no, we have to just want it bad enough, you know, and take effective action quickly. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see whether people flat out lie and say, well, you know, we, it's out of our hands again. There's no, there's no way that we could do this because it's, it can be done as it, as it showed. If, if the will and the problem is big enough, it's just whether... People can wrap their heads around, yeah, watching the graph go up so sh- starkly and having family members or people infected. It's, it is a scary thing. It depends if the, the fear or the reaction is big enough because it showed that, you know, as a society, as a planet, that it's possible to lock down. But it's, uh, yeah, it's going to take a, a big, scary event. But the bushfires were that, so... Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but people people have forgotten <laughs> about the bushfires. It happened yeah. like five five months ago. This country was on fire, and yeah. the pandemic seems to have erased that from people's minds. And even just in a social sense, there does feel to be a bit of me that is like, yes, we shut everything down for two months, <laughs> the, the, the pandemic hasn't gone away, and everything's mm. reopening. Like, it's like we just got to the point where we were like, nah, we can't handle this. Regardless of the dangers, we're just going back to our everyday life. But I think Australia is in a much better position to do that than America is, you know, having states with multiple, like even weeks of zero new cases to be able to go, all right, we could start getting back into it. Whereas America's just plateaued and then they got a bit bored of it. And so (laughs) opening up again. So I think I am encouraged by Australians taking it quite seriously because this is the first thing that internationally it's you can almost rate other countries against each other you could put on a graph how different countries have gone and yeah i think we've done pretty well there have been a couple of uh rather uh loose protests from people when it, we were just opening up and they were coming and demanding the open up it's like yeah, we're doing that on Sunday. What are you we're like? No, we want to yeah. gather because of and us. protest. Yeah, I feel effective. 
That's the best way to exactly. protest for something. Three days before they're actually announcing they're doing that thing. That is the best time to really feel like an effective processor. Exactly right. Oh, man. I feel it's like, yeah, you just want to... It's like someone who's tapping in a goal. It was already going in and you just tip your foot out and claim it. Yeah. Goodness <laughs> me. But yeah, I, I think Australians have, have done it pretty well. The, the thing that that I'm worried about, and this is, you know, part of the, when we did talked about the politics, part of the reason I was getting into it, I was really annoyed at the discourse. And I've, I'm, I think the global financial crisis is the closest um, direct comparison to you know, how a government responds to an international, you know, incident where jobs are being lost all, all over the place. And the Rudd government was internationally applauded for the way that it got through the pandemic, uh, sorry, the, the global financial crash, except it, it was applauded by everyone except for Tony Abbott and the opposition because they were so effective at saying it's a debt and deficit disaster. The school's stimulus was rubbish this is all rubbish we're in so much debt this government can't handle anything and then you know they scrape through for another term of gillard and then they're booted out because of the uh, rhetoric and if the labor party on the back of this came in and said it's a disgrace they've handled this terribly you know all of this has gone wrong that sort of thing you know it's a tough thing to do but the liberal party I don't. Th I think that they would be absolutely offended if someone said that about them because I think in both instances the government has done a r relatively good job at getting through. You know, there's been mistakes. Absolutely, there's things could be left a little bit late. Things could have been explained poorly. Uh, there was a lot of errors going through. But as you can see, when you measure it up against other countries, I think we've done reasonably well. Which means the bit that it'll annoy me is when it comes out of it. They'll want to be praised for the effort they did and they want to say we should be, you know, we should be on top of the world. Should, we've done better than all these countries. We're the best. But they didn't extend that courtesy in opposition to a government who had done something similar. And for that reason, and, you know, we haven't got there yet. Maybe, they, maybe they'll say we're a little bit harsh to the Rudd government when they went through, but I doubt it. <laughs> I don't think they will. So anyway, we'll see what comes out of the wash there, Will. Uh, what about the pandemic itself in relation to how you view the world? Has it changed in any way your priorities in life? Has it changed in any way the way that you look at the global population or your neighbourhood? Has there been any substantial change in the way that you think about things because of this global pandemic? Um, I was talking to a friend who lives in LA and... I was just asking what's what's life like in LA at the moment. And he said, oh, it's not too bad. We live in a neighbourhood where everyone's wearing masks. They're watching out for each other. You know, they're keeping their distance. They're being respectful and whatever. But we took a road trip to another part of town, which is, you know, has a different vibe where people were sort of more in it for themselves. The toilet paper hoarding side of things, the not wearing masks, you can't tell me what to do. I'm my own person. I'll do what I want kind of things. And that, that made me really think about, yeah, the world as far as, yeah, being respectful and helping other people. And I, th I think if you give, yeah, I, I want to live in a world in which that is the norm. And I think for the most part, Australia has done pretty well. There was, you know, a couple of weeks where things went a little bit hectic with the toilet paper, but on balance, when when you help each other and when you're conscious of not just yourself but the others around you, I th I think not only there's the vibe better, but you literally you get through it better. It's yeah, it's it's a lot easier. It's better on your mental health. It's better on your physical health. You could um, you end up with more toilet paper on aggregate. You know, it's uh, yeah. I I think. I, I, so the thing I have learned is that, yeah, the, the empathy and the respect and, and that is definitely the way to go in this. And I would be happy to extrapolate it to every other scenario. Um, I think, yeah, it will. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. And are you optimistic that we will take it back into the new world or will there be a desperate need for us to return to how things were beforehand? Um. Uh, I hope I hope we we get out of it. Yeah, it's it's one of those one of those earth shattering things where like it's very unpredictable. 
uh, the, the Spanish flu. I don't know enough about it. I don't know how the world rebounded out of that. Didn't, we went into a world war, didn't we? Uh, so it's probably <laughs> not the most <laughs> optimistic outcome. <laughs> oh, wait, was it in the 20s? I don't know. But um, yeah, look, nah, hopefully... But a, a world war at this stage would need, like, you know, mm. say the biggest country in the world who has the most weapons to be an incredibly vulnerable position, the only way out of it being a... A, yeah. a, a worldwide war, I and there, would imagine. There needs so. to be a lack of leadership in their country. There needs to be anarchy. There needs to be civil unrest. And luckily, uh, uh, there's not a country that springs to mind with any of those criteria. No. And so that should be fine. Nor another superpower who's really annoyed with other mm. people asking for an inquest into uh, where indeed this particular virus came from is threatening to uh, economically, <laughs> you know, kneecap a country well, that is reliant on... Uh, yeah, but mm. I think I think I can't yeah. think of any of well, those. I think it's fine as long as the leader of one of those two countries doesn't keep picking fights with the other country. We should be yeah. fine. But the good thing is I saw Donald Trump give a really inspiring speech the other day about, you know, mankind joining together and coming out victorious. Oh, no, that that was Donald Trump's head superimposed over the president from the movie Independence Day, which he retweeted with his own head talking about how the world came together to get rid of the aliens Thanks to Will Smith. Are you kidding me? Anyway, that's a that's a side note, Will. <laughs> okay, so um, what about personally? Mm. Like, so, um, and, and look, I don't know how much you've talked about this or how much you want to talk about this, but uh, the coronavirus, of course, really, Melbourne, it was basically, I connected to the Melbourne Comedy Festival because it was around that time. And for me, it was the thing that most felt like oh, for fuck's sake, this is a real thing that's definitely going to affect a lot of people that I know, including myself, who I also know. Well, you were the one You were the one coming into the comedy festival that I thought about because I'd seen your posters around the place and they were, they were next to each other with two different shows <laughs> that you were going to have a very big festival in that you'd done a lot of work to put it all together, to get things ramped up, and then two weeks out to have it um, all called off was a bit... Bit of a shocker. Well, it was a bit of a shocker, but uh, look, you know, everybody had things go away. But you were uh, you had Melbourne Comedy Festival plans as well. Yes, no, me and um, Kyron Wheatley, my good friend and uh, you know fellow ex Triple J uh, business partner, had we started a pop up bar for the previous comedy festival. It went really well. We're going to run it again for this festival. And because another venue was doing so well selling chicken palmas to people who were going to see Harry Potter, <laughs> that they decided their commitment to, um, yeah, their commitment to the some comedy acts who were booked to play in their room, they booted them out. And so the comedy festival sort of asked us, I, I know you've got this, I know you're looking at doing a more permanent venue as well, which we had a license over. Do you reckon you could house a few comedians? And so... Um, yeah, we were going to have 159 comedy shows across two venues for the comedy festival. We'd purchased a bar, we'd purchased the alcohol, we'd purchased 155 seats uh, to go in there, got the liquor license, we'd, you know, done all the, the puppeteering. Aaron Gox was going to perform. Um, Karen from Finance was in there. Uh, he, yeah, Kirsty Wiebeck, ready to get up on stage every night and... Then the sort of the whispers and the things start happening. You're like, all right, well, it could be. It went from going, oh, well, people might be reluctant to risk it to mm -hmm. like, oh, no, it's just all called off the gov governmentally, you know, decreed that it's all it's all done. So it's just it's just poor timing. And it just it happened to a lot of people, yourself included. And, you know, just a, just a damn shame, isn't it? <laughs> so, OK, but so how do you deal with that? Because one of the biggest issues in this time because you don't want to be a celebrity singing Imagine hoping that that helps people <laughs> from the, your mansion, right? Like I am exactly right. super, super aware of the fact of how lucky mm. I am that, you know, out of this time, even though, yes, I lost a lot. It would have been probably mm. what I'd planned for the year about, I, I, you know, I'll end up losing probably 90% of the money that I was going to make this year. So it'll be a big, a big deal and that'll cause problems in my life. Did you do JobKeeper? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I officially have JobKeeper now. 
And Me too. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks, ABN, Soul Trader. Well, it was very easy to, they said you've got to like, I can't even remember what the statistic is. It's like you've got to be earning like, I yeah. think 30% of what you were earning at the same time last year. Last year I was doing commercial radio <laughs> and I'd just come out of the comedy festival and it, and now I'm earning zero dollars and zero cents. And so yeah. it was pretty easy to make That's that just... case, it turned out for me and <laughs> JobKeeper. Yeah. They're not going to need to check up on that one. The question I like, because I got onto the phone with them and like they asked, the, are you 30% down? They also said, um, will your annual income exceed $1 billion? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think I should slip under. I didn't even need to go to the books to check that one. I was pretty sure I would be underneath. Uh, so, okay. So we, we, we all know that we are still in very privileged position. We live in a country mm. that seems to have got on top of things a lot, that has offered mm. support from the government, you know, like there are flaws in that support and who it goes to and there are plenty of artists and, you know, all those sort of people who've missed out on getting that support. And so there are holes in the safety net all over the place, but there mm. is a safety net of sorts and we lived in a, you know, we live in a privileged country in a privileged position. But how do you reconcile that you are personally hurt by something, you know, something you would invest a lot of time and energy and money and all these sort of things in, in the context of everybody else is going through it and every there are so many other people who are going through it a lot worse than you're going through it. But mm. that doesn't mean that you're not also going through it. Yeah, like I am going through it as, as everyone is, but the way I looked at it is that the good part is we still want to do a comedy club in Melbourne and want to put that on and, you know, it's in the works to be happening. And yeah, I wish I could, you know, say more concrete plans, but hopefully in the next couple of months we'll, we'll have something up. And so I saw it. 99 seats, a meter and a half away from each other. Yeah. Like it could start out, like we're looking at the live streaming aspect. Like there's, there's just a lot more legwork to do, but financially, you know, we've sunk a bit of our money into it, but I'm looking at not, it's not so much a loss in that it was totally taken away. It's like, okay, well this, this dream has been delayed, you know, potentially 12 months, potentially longer, yep. you know, like a lot of people in the entertainment industry, it's built on large groups of people gathering close together <laughs> and enjoying some sort of entertainment. And uh, yeah, hopefully there'll be a world in which we can and do that in the future. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame that this year, you know, we're not kicking back after comedy festival going, how fun was that? You know, how great was that? We, all our hard work paid off and we're reaping it both financially and, you know, socially and enjoyably. But um, yeah, I like to think that it, I get through by thinking, okay, I haven't lost all of this money rather than it's like, okay, it, we're kicking the can down the road a little bit and we'll, we'll hopefully be back. Cause you're right. It's not a, it, we're fortunate enough to be in a position where it's, it's not the end of a lot of things. It's just like, hopefully a pause <laughs> it will be interesting to see though how art recovers because as you said particularly the comedic arts when you're not only jamming a whole bunch of people in a room because that's what people don't realize is it's not just um like uh, you know the the lounge cafe lounge in sydney a great room that ran there for a decade or more um went under during mm. this time and there'll be other smaller rooms that go under because the pub will no longer be able to afford you know getting the right amount of people in because i'll have to be so you can't jam 100 people in a basement you know all up against each other for a while all mm. these sort of things so that's the lower rung of the industry and how it exists there and so that's going to be tough but also you're not going to be able to do it at the top end either where you say, I'm going to get a thousand people or 2000 people mm. or 3000 people in a room. And what I'm going to do for an hour and a half is try to make them expel their fluids out of their <laughs> mouth in and around everybody. Like it's just, it's like literally the worst thing that you could possibly do in that yeah. situation. So, um, so th there is a fear. Cause I was saying this to a bloke at the shops the other day who was celebrating the fact that, uh, you know, things were starting to reopen mm. and he said, you know, it's good to be able to get back to work. And I totally understood that. But I also said to him, I said, I don't know when I'm going to get back to work, not mm. the work that I, you know, really love to do. And the thing that I, you know, is kind of my main job. I don't know when that's coming back. It might still be a year from now. I hope it isn't. Yeah. But it might still be. Yeah. It's, um, it's scary. And particularly, you know, because I've had the, the last year, I've had that window into the, the business side of things when places are announcing that you are allowed 10 people provided it's, you know, four square meters or 20 people. I'm just realizing it's like, 
you barely make money at, it's hard enough to make money when this isn't on, <laughs> you know, it's difficult enough to make a living in hospitality, particularly in the CBD of places, you know, there's so many factors that go into it. Um, that's, it's just not viable with everything available to you, let alone a restriction on how many people you could have into a, into a space. And so, yeah, it will be very interesting to see. And yeah, seeing places go on the market, like the gasometer in Melbourne, a live music venue is up for sale, but it's also like, who's going to, who's going to purchase? It's a, it's a bloody big risk. And even like when talking about this new comedy venture, like even getting the banks on board to literally act, you need a, you need a ID when people sell tickets online, you need a bank or a financial institution to be able to take a booking basically. And we've gone to two of the big banks, one of which is one that has billboards around everywhere and their website is full of their catchphrase, we're here to support you. And uh, you go, oh, we're going to sell tickets online and you know, that, 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 and, and it's like, sorry, too high risk for us. And we're like, what? <laughs> what? You're meant to be supporting. They're like, nah, nah, we're not, not going to be doing that. I'm sorry. Because there's no pathway out. And it's not their money, but they're worried that we could sell tickets or something, not deliver it, lose the money that people have paid us and not be able to refund them. And then the people are going to be angry and come after the bank that allowed the transaction to take place. So that's, you know, that's a problem we've been dealing with over the last little, little while. And I'm sure there are many more out there that uh, people are, are facing in this recovery and yeah i just the arts as a whole would find that difficult if they just need to do something as simple as set up an online transaction account it's uh yeah it's pretty scary how have you dealt with the personal effects as in like just in a life sense what's it been like for you to stay at home uh are you a person who's comfortable you know being at home what is it that you've been passing your time with um it's weird because the the worst the worst i've sort of felt in lockdown has been I've overcommitted myself to various things because I guess being in this sphere and I'm not sure if, if you're the same like because my usual fare is to come up with funny videos or to you know host something or to do a podcast or to do that a lot of people have been getting in touch, like, oh, can we host, we're going to do a live stream of this. Can you jump in? Would you mind sending a video through for this? And could you quickly record a little package that we could do that? And so like some of my busiest days, I've just like got so much content to create that I've, by the end of the day, I'm just like absolutely spent. I remember I got home from, I was filming a video clip. There's an Aussie artist, Alice Ivy, and this was like a really fun one. So I'm very glad I got to do it, but they, she asked me to do a dance for a video clip. So I was shooting a, a socially distanced dance in Melbourne's The Lithuanian Club. Um, and then I got home and it was the day my book was coming out and mm. my book launch had been cancelled and my appearance at the Sydney Writers Festival was all cancelled. And so suddenly it's like up to me to you know do all the promotion for my own book coming out rather than just a sort of rocking up to other things that other people have organised. So I get home and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? All right, I'll get the DJ decks. We'll put them out the front. I'll because I was meant to do a DJ set in readings in Carlton, like the bookshop, just an afternoon DJ set, and because the book's about music and um, a young kid who gets into it um, and has a song go viral. But anyway, so instead of doing a DJ set in readings, I'm like, all right, I'll do it at the front of my house for our neighbours. So I got the <laughs> DJ decks out the front, and I'm just there, and I'm quite. I'm so tired. I'm really flat. I'm like there, like I drop one thing and I'm so really frustrated. And then you put it up on the, I put the DJ decks on my wheelie bin and I'm like the girlfriend who's out the front, she's done such a good job at dealing with all my, my content crap and holding a camera for me for just weeks. Well, oh, I'm eternally grateful, but, um, they're like, all right, you're recording? Okay, here we go. And then I start dancing, book in the air. Let's go. My book's out. Woo! Dance, dance, dance. Cut. Oh, thank God that's over. All right, what do you want for dinner? Like, let's go inside. And it's just been that real. <laughs> that's real. You're just, just exhausted. You're flat. Everything's in lockdown. You're just sitting there on the couch, not doing anything. It's like, all right, you ready for it? We go. We got to film this. Okay, let's go. Bam, 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 cut, done. Like, I'm over this. So I don't, I'm not sure if 
the the side that people are seeing of me because I've been doing these um, exercise classes as well every uh, every Tuesday and Saturday, um, where I host a Zumba session, but it's just me making up dances to songs, and so that's quite funny. I come home one night and I like I'm tired from something, and I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, I gotta make up some dances for tomorrow. So I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll hip thrust there. Yep. All right, spin. Okay, good. Yeah, that'll work. And then in the morning, I'm like, hey, guys, let's dance. And so it has been, you know, ups and downs, but overall, it's positive. And, I, you know, I'm always happy after I do these exercise things and I'm really stoked that the book's out. It's it's just funny. I've I've got content fatigue at times. So that's how I'm handling it personally, I think. Well, because, yeah, I mean, you are producing a lot of things. I mean, the book, like you said, the book did come out. Um, yeah. And you're back doing radio as well. Yeah, doing the uh, the podcast with Matt O'Kine, which is super fun. I've been really enjoying that side of things. Like, Matt's super easy to talk to, and we had such a good time co-hosting Triple J Breakfast together. And this, yeah, it's come together really well. I think having a, a show, because, you know, whenever people tune into Breakfast Radio in the car – you catch, you know, a few ads, then it goes into one talk break and then the news happens and then you, you're already at work by the time, you know, the Like A Version cover's coming up, so you got to miss it. And so, yeah, having a... And the podcast of those are just is just a radio show that is a radio show, just cut up and you can listen to what happened on the radio show. So having a breakfast show that um, is... is it, people know that it's recorded specifically as a podcast... Um, it's been really good and people responded really well to it. They're, they're super stoked that, you know, um, me and Matt are, are doing stuff together and, and it's been like super fun. And like, I, I think the best comment was someone was like, it's like, oh, you've, it's, it was actually, and they weren't talking to me. I, I looked at a, co- a conversation online on a forum or something like, did you hear the first ap- episode? It was actually really good. And so I was really, <laughs> it was actually really funny. Like even as a first episode, like. For a first episode, especially. And so, yeah, I'm glad that it's, you know, the quality is is still high and um, yeah, we can do it. And podcast one has been pretty good with me and Matt getting us together and yeah, working it out in this socially distanced times, which is um, something that's always a bit tricky as well, because we were meant to have a big launch and film some videos together and, you know, all that fell in a hole as well. And so we may do, but um, that was pretty, yeah, that was lucky that we I had that coming up as well in that I didn't have to worry so much and you know the the job keeper wasn't quite as crucial as it may have been uh you know as bad as a whole bar collapsing would have been if I didn't have a have something that to look forward to as well okay so there was some element at the very least of you can put your energy into other things yes yeah it was it was good having that on the horizon I didn't have to worry as to about like okay, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> what the hell am I going to do now? <laughs> Having this daily, you know, podcast, which we could um, focus on and which we're going to be doing for, you know, a good stint. Uh, yeah, which hopefully we can grow and have people listen every day. And yeah, it's, it's it's been fun really getting back and yeah, talking to people on the one we recorded yesterday. We had our first um, live birth. We talked to a woman in labor and her partner and she was 10 hours in. And she was, you know, keeping on a brave voice. Uh, you could tell. I think if I didn't know she was in labour, I probably wouldn't have guessed, but I would have known something was up. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I think later on we're talking to them. I think they've had the baby, and so we're going to talk to them and um, find out what its name is. And, yeah, that was really cute. But, yeah, having stories like that has been really fun again as well. And what's it like? How long was it? had it been since you and Matt had worked together? Um, we'd done two shows on uh, the Sunday Night Experiment, which was an SCA um, show from 8 till 10 on a Sunday night. And that was really fun to do. And it's like, just felt super comfortable. Like, you know, not having hosted a commercial radio show before, you don't know what to expect. But um, it was really, it was really great. You go in and you just have, you just talk the top. It's the same thing. <laughs> you know, you're just talking with your mate. And if something feels icky, you go, no, I don't want to talk about that. And so, yeah, it's it's fine. It's there's not as I, there's. I think I thought it'd be scarier than it was. Are you different people though? Because this is what's interesting to me. Like, you know, does the dynamic change? Because I mean, I had Adam Spencer on this very mm. podcast uh, last week or the week before, and it's always interesting when I talk to Spence because I talk to him every morning, you know, for five years and. Um, you know, we talked a lot. It was back in the days where you could, <laughs> we didn't play a lot of songs some mornings. 
boys to talk a lot and we had no ads and stuff to get to so we would talk a lot yeah and uh i remember you know, I, we, that was the first radio show i called into one morning um you were doing do you remember on... what you called in yeah about yeah it was what what's really annoying it was i think it was quite a broad topic <laughs> let's be <laughs> let's be honest from adam and will they uh there was a real broad one that day but i called in and i would have been like I would have been like 15 or 16, I mm. think. And I called in and I found in windscreen wipers, the little shark fin that's left in the middle, like you watch it every time and the windscreen wiper misses that section every time. <laughs> and I used to sit in the back seat and just look at it and just go, get out of here. Like get wiped. Um, anyway, I called in for that, but I think you'd had too many calls or I mean, you did cast a wide net that day. So I'm sure the board was already full. <laughs> I'm 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 dis I'm disappointed that we didn't get to that. That is actually a really good thing to be annoyed that today, if I was on a commercial radio show today right. and I got that yeah. call, that would be our number one go-to call. I'd be like, let's finish on this wind windscreen wipe again. And having then worked at Triple J and taken a lot of calls, like I would have thought, oh, having a 16-year-old call up and talk, like that's gold. Get them on. Mm. Uh, but I do remember one uh, Adam agreed with this one was when the the sign that's for a slippery road, the axle switches over and goes the other side. Like it's the car can't, you know, <laughs> can't do that officially. And Adam agreed with the caller and that that was stupid. Anyway, that's what I remember from your show. But you were telling the story about Adam jumping back on the podcast. Sorry. Well, all I was going to say is that we were, you know, I was 25 years old, oh. you know, and we were very... We were very different people, you know, back then to what we are mm. now. And we've got very different life experience. So it's always interesting to go back to that conversation because we come back to it as, you know, sometimes the same people we were, but sometimes very different people to what we did, were. Did also. you find the old the old you shining through, the 25-year-old Triple J breakfast presenter sometimes just like coming out? Did you slip well, back Well, in that? the way that we make... In the way that we make fun of each other, it's still very the same yeah. things. You know, we're still pretty much making fun of, of each other about the exact same <laughs> shit. But I guess the references have changed, but the dynamics sure. pretty similar. I'm sure, uh, it's better than Matt O'Kine. He doesn't change his references. It's still Sonic the Hedgehog. It's still Alex the Kid. <laughs> At Triple J, we had, to, we had a meeting one day. And I don't think, I don't think I'm officially... Meant to be talking about this. I remember we had a meeting. Oh, come meet. on. It's, if, people make, if people make it to the end of the podcast, they deserve something. Exactly. Congratulations. <laughs> Here is your prize. You've reached the, uh, you've reached the, the, the treasure room, um, as it happens in Alex the Kid. Um, the, um, yeah, we had a young person come and try and teach us, <laughs> teach Matt in particular, a few more, more recent references <laughs> about things that have happened. Happens like, you know, after the Sega Mega Drive was the <laughs> most popular game system for for the youth of today. And so, yeah, I found that quite funny because he's just looking bewildered. <laughs> In fact, you've got one of those. Uh, last time we spoke, I couldn't pronounce Billie Eilish. Uh, that's whereas like in between then mm. it would be impossible from when we had that conversation to now it would be impossible to go through your life and not know how to say Billie Eilish but that was the last yeah. recorded moment that somebody did not know how to say <laughs> Billie Eilish that's a good time capsule right there yeah goodness gracious that, that would be my go-to if I needed to name something that young people were into I would just you know like if my in that reference moment I'd be like TikTok <laughs> Billy Eilish. Yeah. Yeah. I I think when I saw Scott Morrison refer to TikTok the other day, I'm like, goodness me, these references are coming thick and fast. Well, that's because writing the book as well, like I had to change my novel because originally like he's shared the song on Facebook. And then right. by the time I'd finished writing it, sort of three years later, they're like, oh, I don't know how many 16-year-olds are on Facebook anymore. And so no. like quick rewrites as to like sisters sharing things and anyway it was um it's they move quickly these days will they really do okay well you have to finish up uh because you have to uh, record your radio sl show slash podcast um yeah we've but... got a um cool guest uh called will anderson on the show today um <laughs> i don't think, i don't think we're even gonna hang up after this uh i think we could keep keep the good times rolling but just have it on a different show
There you go, people. Real insight for those who made it to the end. Uh, somebody asked me on my on my Patreon page, and here's the thing about my Patreon page: it's patreon.com slash willosophy, w i l o s o p h y, and I always appreciated the people who signed up there, but right now it is my only income, so I super appreciate them, and I've been trying to. Uh, show them some super appreciation love so anyone who's sending me a message on patreon i'm trying to get back to everybody and it's a good place if you want to suggest a guest for the podcast or you want to have a conversation Mm -hmm. around something that was said on the podcast i don't always see it when it's on the other social medias but if you Mm -hmm. are a patreon subscriber and you send me a message i promise i will respond and so um somebody suggested i bring back the time travel question so she, she said even though um, you know, you're updating and people have already answered this question on your podcast. Yep. I would like to know if their answer has changed post-pandemic. So the question is, yeah, you have a return I wish I could trip. jump in a time capsule and ask myself what I said in that time to see if it's changed. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, so what I'm going to say to you now is I have a time machine and you get to have a return trip on the time machine. Where are you going to? Um, and it's anywhere, isn't it? Um, anywhere or anywhere in your get- life? Yeah, and we get do we get to interact or is it literally a um an Ebenezer Scrooge uh just just a voyeur peeping Tom time nah, travel. You can do you can you can no, nah, you can you can do whatever you want when you're there. Yeah. You can just be a voyeur or you can uh or you can interact as much as you want. You got 24 hours. And and I can I but I have to spend the 24 hours in the one place. It's a one-way trip. It's a one-way round trip. Yeah, okay. If that makes sense. Oh man. Um can I go forward as well or just back? No one's ever asked, but yes, absolutely. Why I not? I can go forward. Why does, it, why does it only have to go backwards? That's that is time. absolutely... It'd be a pretty bootleg time travel machine if we could only go one direction in time. All right. So firstly, <laughs> here's what I'm going to fucking say. <laughs> yeah. Is that this is already paid off as me asking this question. So to that Facebook, right. that Patreon person, yeah. I firstly will say to you, I wish I knew your name to give you a personalized shout out, but I will say this, congratulations. It was good to ask this question. Brilliant. No one's ever thought about it. This is, this is post pandemic thinking. <laughs> what if we go forward in time? Yeah. Well, I would probably, so hopefully everything going well, I start getting up in my age towards 2100, right? So I reckon I'll go yeah. another years old. Years old, yeah. <laughs> so twenty one hundred. Yeah. So I'll be about. I calculated when I was when I was quite young. I'm like, yeah, if I live to one hundred and twelve, I could I could see out the twenty first century. Try and get into the twenty second. Okay. okay, I'm gonna go out another hundred years in front of that. Okay, so let's go. I'll go to twenty three hundred. Check mm. in, see how it's going. Chat to some people, take a few photos. I could take, do I get to take some photos? Is that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. Um, come back, let everyone know, all right, this is where we're going to end up, all right? Or you could listen to the kooky breakfast radio host who claims he can travel through time. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we can sort this out once and for all. <laughs> Um, so I think that will will problem solved. There we go. Uh, okay, there's so many flaws in that, but we don't have the time to explore them today. We'll have to do that next time. Um, Ellie Dyson, your book. Uh, what is your book called? Yes, it's called When It Drops, um, and it's out. Uh, so um, people can find that go. where they find books. Is there an audio version where you read it? Yeah, that's the other thing. That sort of got delayed due to everything. So hopefully you'll be able to listen to it in the future. In the in the meantime, if you're happy to use your eyes, yeah, I guess my Instagram is the easiest place to jump on all sorts of links to find the silly things that I'm doing, like the exercise classes and the books and the podcasts and the new upcoming comedy venue. So yeah, jump on that. A.E. Dyson is, is my one. And yeah, you can have a read. That's, what, that's the problem with all this content, Will. I'm like, surely you can't listen or watch or read Alex Dyson seven days a week. I mean, pick one and go your favorite medium and just go with that, I would say. <laughs> there is a, a worry at the moment, I think, that like so, so many people are obsessed with, you know, producing content. But I think a lot of the places we actually consume that content, we're not 
consuming them. I think people listen to podcasts when they go to the gym or like, yeah, they're still going for a walk. They're still doing some of those things. But I actually feel like, I certainly feel like on a personal level, I'm not listening to as much stuff or consuming as much stuff as I was. Maybe more movies and Netflix and things you might actually sit down in Mm. front of series. But that sort of day-to-day while I'm waiting, while I'm going from one thing to the other sort of content, I'm not actually... You know, sometimes I watch that video while I'm in the back of an Uber or something going somewhere. Yeah. Well, I listened to your podcast, Willosophy, when I was in Africa. I was (laughs) in my tent lying down in a break while the animals are all hiding. Went in the tent and I listened to, I think, you and Clem Ford in that one. I listened to you with Andy Lee when I was driving towards the National Park outside of Darwin. Litchfield, that's the one. Um, And Sean McAuliffe. And the Sam Mack one while we were driving in Africa as well. So... Yeah, I haven't been traveling as much, so <laughs> not getting a chance to listen to as much philosophy, but I really love it, man. I do wonder because a lot of people a lot of people say to me, they say they listen to the podcast when they're overseas yeah. and they have a taste for home. Is the fact that people aren't going to be able to travel overseas going to hurt my podcast numbers? This is the biggest issue. Potentially. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. <laughs> you know, going for a walk is a good good as time as any to listen to philosophy. But yeah, you always do an amazing job, man. So it's yeah, thank you so much for having me on. No, I appreciate it, mate. And thank you for coming back on. Okay, let's uh, stop this so we can do your one. (laughs) 